Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gift that he has been, that he is, and that he forever will be. Thank you for your grace and goodness and mercy. Lord, we pray that as we open your word now, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. That you would help us to see and to understand the immensity of your gift, of your love, of your grace. And help us to walk out of here this morning with a renewed focus and commitment to you. To be the people you've called us to be. To be the people you made us to be. You're so good. We love you. In Christ's name. Amen. There is a debate going on right now on social media and in a lot of people's homes even. And that is, when does the Christmas tree go up? This year in particular, I've seen a lot of people who have uh, already jumped in and said, as crazy as this year is, as wild as this year is, I'm going to go ahead and put it up. My brother's one of those. His, he had his uh, picture posted of his the, the other day on, on social media, and I was like, okay. And there's always that kind of conflict that's, that's kind of out there. You know, when do you begin celebrating Christmas? I know our re- retailers, they begin before Halloween. You know, you go into Home Depot or Walmart or something like that, even before Halloween, you'll see the Christmas trees up. And you're like, what on earth? What's going on? But you see that struggle out there. There's a cartoon that's kind of floating around out there as well. It's a turkey yelling at Santa Claus. November's mine. You wait till December see those sorts of things. But I want to suggest today that they're really not and shouldn't be at odds at all. Today I'm actually going to begin kind of our Christmas emphasis. But I I want to do it in light of the fact that what we should be most thankful for as we celebrate this Thursday, as we celebrate this week, think about what we're thankful for and and what God has provided us is Jesus Christ himself. When I look at Scripture, there there are a lot of promises. I've seen several books that have been published, you know, 20 greatest promises of the Bible or 60 greatest promises of the Bible or those sorts of things. Things that, that God has said, God has communicated to his people over the years that, that often uh, we believe uh, apply to us as well, sometimes erroneously, sometimes accurately. But there's one promise that I think is above them all. There's one promise that I think is the most significant, and that is, I will be with you. It's a promise that you find uttered throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham as He leaves his home and leaves all that he knows and all that he's ever understood. God says, go to the land I will show you, and I will be with you. He says it to Jacob. A few years later, as 
Jacob's getting ready to leave the promised land because of his sins and because of his mistakes, because of, of his, his pride and his arrogance and the theft of his brother's blessing. He has to leave his home. But as he's going, God appears to him, reveals to him that God's going with him, that he would oversee him. He'd see him back to his home. He said it to Moses. As Moses is getting ready to go stand in front of the most powerful man in the world at that time, to look him in the eye and to say, God has declared that you must let his people go. He said it to Jeremiah as he sent him out to preach to a people who wouldn't listen, whose hearts would be hardened, who would refuse to obey his word, refuse to acknowledge what God has said. I will be with you. And then, of course, Jesus' last words for his ascension into heaven. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. If God says it that often, then obviously it's something that we ought to pay attention to. If it's something that in every circumstance, every situation, every problem, every chaotic circumstance, uh, life reality God says I am with you then it's something we ought to grab onto and as we come to the Christmas season as we come to reflect upon that we reflect upon a certain name of God that that reveals that even more his name would be called Emmanuel which means God with us and so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at that truth that Jesus is, in fact, God with us. And hopefully as we look at this, this truth, as we look at this revelation, we'll come to some understandings of exactly how powerful and how meaningful that promise that I will be with you is. We'll come to appreciate and acknowledge and understand that Jesus' presence with us is something that we indeed need to be thankful for, something we need to acknowledge, something we need to live within, something we need to take with us wherever we go. I want to start this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Because I think it's here that we begin to see the heart of our thankfulness, the heart of our acknowledgement of the God that's with us. That it's not just during our lifetime, it's not just during even the world's lifetime existence that he has been with us. That John portrays the truth, communicates the reality that we have always been in the mind of God. And that as we acknowledge that and we realize that, that, that there's power there. He says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What does it mean 
when John says, in the beginning was the Word. It means that Christ existed, that Christ the Son has always existed. He is co-eternal with the Father. But what does that mean to us? How does that impact us? Well, to be timeless is, is, to, is to live in a situation, to live in, in a perspective, in a mindset that views all things together. It's to see the interconnectedness of life. And it's to have a plan for things even before they happen. Over and over again in Scripture, we're reminded that Jesus coming, that Jesus appearing, that Jesus place here in this world was something that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 Christ who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 1, 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Think about that. God had a plan for you and a place for you, and he sent his son to die for you before the earth even existed. It was part of his plan that, that his son would come. And to understand that Jesus is timeless is to understand, first of all, that we have a Savior who knows where we've been. Some of us, some of you, have had an incredibly difficult year this year. I think 2020 for most of us did not turn out in any way like we imagined it when the new year began. Some heartbreaking realities have taken place. And I want you to know that all along, you had a Savior who's been with you. He's been there beside you. He knows where you've been. He knows what you're going through, what you've gone through. But not only that, you have a guide who knows where you're going. He knows what is next in your life. He knows what you're going to face. He's already there. Part of the reality of him being timeless is he's already there. You're not going to face anything that surprises him. It might surprise you. It might seem like it's going to overwhelm you. But as he is with you, you can face it. Why? Because he's already there. You have a friend who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. I think in almost all of our relationships, at least initially, there's a part of us that we kind of keep back. Whether we're entering into a romantic relationship with somebody or whether it's just a friendship that we're trying to build or whatever, there's a part of us that we kind of Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that for later. I'm not I'm not gonna show them that part of who I am just yet. Because we're afraid that if we do, that person will be 
nah, I'm not really interested in, in all that drama, all that mess. It's our tendency. It's 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 our it's our way of doing things, and it it can cause sometimes difficulties and later on in those relationships. It can cause us in the present to not fully really enjoy what it is that we're experiencing with that person. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, He knows everything about you already. He already knows your hurts. He knows the worst things that you've done. He knows your thoughts, your attitudes, those things that we can so easily disguise in our life. He sees them clearly, and He still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. And there's freedom in that. There's encouragement in that. There's hope in that. There should be thankfulness coming from that. That no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter what I've thought, Jesus still loves you. He's still there for you. I am with you always, he said. Not just when you're acting good, not just where you're not when you're supposed to be, but those who belong to Him have His presence with them always. And that's something to be thankful for. To go even just a little bit deeper into that reality. He knows us the way He knows us because He made us. John talks about how He is the agent of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, John says. Now we might wonder, why? Why would God create all of this knowing what he knows? He's the timeless one. He knows all that was going to happen. He knew all that was going to occur. He knew Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that his son would have to come and die on the cross, he knew all of that experience. He knew all of that reality, and yet he created anyway. And I have to tell you that, that a big part of that's going to have to remain a mystery. There are just certain things about God and why he does things and, and how he does things that we'll never get. We'll never understand. His ways are, are higher than ours. His ways will always be higher than ours. Why? Because he sees it all. He sees it all. We see just a speck. Even when we study history and we look at life and this existence, we can only make just sense of just a bit of it. We can only comprehend just a portion of it. Even in those moments when life works around to a certain outcome and we say, oh, now I get it. We really don't. We really don't get it. But I think there are some things we can say based upon his word about why he created. Number one, he did it because he could. And he wanted to. And when you're talking about the sovereign God of this universe who has all power in his hand, if he wants to do something, guess what? He's going to do it. 
Revelation 4.11 tells us this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You decided you wanted to do it, and so you did. I think a second reason is, is for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, every, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. For his fame, for his greatness, he did these things. Now, that may sound, given our perspective and our mindset, like a, a selfish activity. That, that somehow God's like, well, I want to show everybody how great I am. And that's how we might read that or, or how we might understand that. In, in our fallenness and in, in our brokenness, we, we might misunderstand it that way. But the reality of the situation is, is that when you really begin to see just how amazing and awesome and powerful and wonderful and all that that God is, you'll be thankful that he created for his glory. To, 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 to find yourself in that situation, to find yourself in that realization of how awesome God is, is to move toward thankfulness that he did it for that reason. It wasn't a selfish act. It was a giving act. Let me show you how great and how wonderful existence can be when I'm present in your life. I think third, he did it, he created because it's an outgrowth of his nature and his personality. He is, by nature, relational. Three persons, one God. That's who he's eternally been. He's always been about relationship. He's always been in that conversation. And so creation is just an extension of that loving relationship. It's just an extension of his very nature and perspective. And so when you, you bring all that together, what, what you discover are some truths about your creator and, and how that should shape you. Number one, you come to realize that your creator wants a relationship with you. He didn't make you, wind you up and say, you're on your own. He wants a relationship with you. He wants, he wants you to know who he is. He wants you to, to realize what he can do in your life and, and, and the impact that he can have and, and the joy that he can bring, the peace that he can offer, peace that Paul says passes all understanding. He wants you to experience that. And he created you so he knows how to bring that into your life if you will just listen and respond. I think there's also a, an aspect of thankfulness there in, in the great care that your creator took in making you. We all look at ourselves and we say, man, I wish that had been made different. I wish that was a little bit different here, or a little bit different there. You know, God, I don't know what you were thinking when you made me this way and gave me that trait or, or whatever it is, but whatever. But we need to recognize that God took great care in his overall creation, and so he definitely took great care in making us as individuals as well. 
He's not going to spend the kind of kind of focus. I won't say energy because he's God. It didn't take him any energy at all. It was boom. But the kind of focus he took in making all of creation and then just leave you to the wonders of accident. And let me just give you some insight into just how amazing overall creation just of the human body is that God made. This comes from Dr. J John Medina, who's a genetic engineer at the University of Washington. This is what he has to say just about the human body just in general. He says the average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day. That's over 55 million gallons in the average lifetime. This is enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps. It beats two and a half billion times during the average life. The lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated that it is more difficult to exchange O2 for CO2 than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. DNA contains about 2,000 genes per chromosome. 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus, and a nucleus is 6 microns long. To give you a picture of what that is, it'd be like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. But it's not just crammed in there, it's folded in. And if, if it's folded one way, the cell becomes a skin cell. If it's folded another way, a liver cell, and so forth and so on. To write out the information in one cell would take 300 volumes, each volume 500 pages thick. The human body contains enough DNA that if it were stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. The body uses energy efficiently. If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles per hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of a carbohydrate. Just for reference purposes, if a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get roughly 900 miles to the gallon. That's what God has created. That's just, that's just a snippet. That's just a few examples of what the human body is like. Every human body is like that God created. And pile into that the distinctiveness, the individuality, the the, the, the quirks and the, the other parts of who we are that God has made. And you come to see that you have a creator who has invested in you. You are, as Scripture says, fearfully and wonderfully made. And that is something to be thankful for. He didn't just make you and then abandon you. How could he abandon you? when he gave that much focus to it, now, all the intricacies of it. And that's why I believe John, after talking about the timelessness of Christ and, and, and the creative nature of who Christ is, he then he brings all that together with the reality that Jesus is the Word. 
And the idea, the image of Jesus as the Word is significant because it communicates to us that God is a God of communication. That God speaks to us, that God reveals to us, that God has spoken to us, that He continues to speak to us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Think about that, especially as we enter into the Christmas season. Because a lot of times when we think about our thankfulness to God, we think about Easter, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And we thank the Lord. We thank God for the gift of life that he gave us there. And that is thoroughly appropriate. That is exactly what we ought to be doing. That ought to be at the forefront of our thoughts. Thank you, God, for giving me life. Thank you, God, for for sending your son to take your wrath so that I don't have to. Thank you, God, for transforming me, making me into a new creature, making me into a person who can relate to you and walk with you and understand you and know you. Thank you, God, for, for all of that, for the very life itself that I have. That ought to be at the forefront of our thoughts. But I want... I want to suggest today, and I want to encourage you today to make Christmas and what it communicates part of your thankfulness as well, and that is the incarnation, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven to dwell on earth among men, and not to dwell among us in a way that is uh, glorious and wonderful. He said what? He says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When he was born, he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born with riches. He was born as a peasant in a food trough. That is how God has spoken to us. That is how God has communicated to us. Frederick Buchner. In his book, The Hungering Dark, has a synopsis of this reality that, that, that I'm going to read to you. And I read to you because I, I couldn't improve on it if I tried. It's so poignant and clear about what the incarnation communicates in terms of God and how we relate to him through it. He says, those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go, to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe. There is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from His power to break into and recreate the human heart. Because it is just when He seems most helpless that He is most strong, and just when we least expect Him that He comes through most fully. The 
manger proclaims the depth to which God is willing to go to relate to you, to know you, to let you know Him. What's God like? What is God like? Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've been asked that. And there's lots of things you could answer. But I would venture, offer, God is surprising. Because God put himself in a food trough as a baby needing to have his diaper changed, needing to be fed just for relationship with you. Jesus would say, you see me, you see the Father. You see what I've gone through, and you see what I'm willing to express, and you see what I'm communicating by my existence, then you know who the Father is too. We are of one mind. We are of one purpose. That should create thankfulness. That should instill in us a heart of appreciation. God has not left us to our own direction. He has granted us wisdom through the Son, through the creation. We can live and we can prosper because God has granted us the gift of wisdom through His Son. And as such, we understand that Jesus is the light. As John wraps all of this up, this opening few verses of his gospel that are so deep and so rich and so powerful in their explanation of who our Savior is, he concludes with, he is the light. You don't have to be afraid. We live in a world of darkness. We live in a, in a world of that could easily instill fear and heartache and pain that's of the sort, that's of the nature that we feel overcome, but greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. No matter how dark your circumstance, no matter how dark your situation, Jesus is the light. And, and just think about that. You could be in a room, in a room that's, that's, that's dark as dark could be. And you take out a match and you strike that match. Little bitty, little bitty thing. 
and suddenly that room that was total darkness, you can see everything you need to see. From complete blindness to sight. With just a little bit of light, imagine what it is that Christ grants. When He's what? He's the light of the world. His light, His luminosity is spellbinding. It's amazing. As we live in this world that's so chaotic, with so much darkness, in a season that seems so overwhelming, the threats of sickness and other things that are right at our doorstep. We don't have to be afraid because the light of the world is with us. And He reveals the path that's before us because He's already there too. And He made us and He directed us and He will guide us through this life. in ways that are beyond our imagination. So as we gather Thursday, and we struggle to find things to be thankful for in a world that can be so hard on us sometimes, let us hold on to the one who's holding on to us and be thankful for the Son who is literally God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness, your mercy, your love. We thank you that you didn't consider it unnecessary or unworthy to come and dwell amongst us. You sent your son to do just that. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we ask that you help us to walk daily in that truth. In Christ's name I pray.